It's That Stack of Books, Episode 2. I'm Steve Scher with Nancy Pearl. We're at the Bryant Corner Cafe where Nancy has uh, actually a moderate stack of books. It's not as big as it has been in the past. What's, what's that book? We're going we're gonna to go in the direction of what's on the bottom here. Tell me about that book. Well, you interviewed the, the author slash photographer of this book. This is um, Slash astronaut. As, slash, yes, maybe beginning with astronaut. Yes, Chris Hadfield is um, a Canadian astronaut, um, and he wrote um, a wonderful, wonderful book called An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth, and that's what you interviewed him for when he was touring for that. And his uh, rendition of uh, Elton John's song. Yeah. Oh, really? yeah. So these are photographs from the International Space Station that Chris Hadfield took, and it's called You Are Here Around the World in 92 Minutes. And, and when I saw this, I mean, this is another, I think this is another book that is going to be a big book for the holidays because there are so many people who are interested in, in that um, aspect of it, and one of the things he talks about um, is how, when you're in space, uh, there's up, what is up and what is down, and how the, the longitude and latitude shifts as you're looking at it. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Like here's a picture of Manhattan, awake, 9:23 a.m. local time, and you can see the Hudson and the East Rivers, and I mean, it's pretty, pretty And, and then he has it at night. And then he has it at night. One of his famous pictures was the, was the Earth at night, yes. and how lit up it was. <laughs> I mean, it's a, just amazing, and he has a wonderful sense of humor, I think, that comes through in, in this, and it, well, somehow I've always thought about the astronauts as being bigger than about the Apollo 7 yeah. astronauts. But Chris Hadfield makes makes me think that, um, you know, he's just this wonderful, more than ordinary person. But he was a farm boy. He was a mid-Canadian farm boy. From Saskatchewan, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. He, um, he also is, I remember him being, yeah, fairly intrigued by the natural processes and wanting to talk about the science of what he was experiencing, he made a bunch of videos that are on YouTube about uh, different different funny things that happen in the, on the space station, different ways you eat, and all the questions people always right. ask. Uh, he's he's a pretty interesting guy because he's very famous in Canada. Yes, he's very he popular is. In Canada. He is. He is. He is there. Uh, you know, John Glenn. Right. For some reason, he became the the astronaut that captivated people's attention. It doesn't hurt when you play the guitar. And you and you're so personable. Yeah, yeah. Great. Of course, that just raises the, all the other space books that we should be reading. Well, you mentioned Tom Wilson. I don't know how many people read that book anymore. The right stuff. Yeah, the right stuff. It's a marvelous book. I would definitely recommend that if people haven't read it. There are some just older titles that are absolute classics. I mean, shifting topics. Randy Schultz's book, The Band Played On. Do you remember when that sure. came out? I mean, that's still just an amazing book about the beginning of um, the, the discovery of what was then called the gay men's disease, um, AIDS, and Randy Schultz's exploration of what that meant to America and to him and to his friends. It, it's a powerful, it's a powerful book and totally 
people should read that. Well, shifting back, Andrew Chaikin wrote a number of books about the history of space and space exploration that, yes. that are great and very interesting for their, uh, their detail of science. Who's Louise Penny? Louise Penny is a very, very, very popular mystery writer. Um, she's Canadian, so I'm sure uh, she and Chris Hadfield you know, have at least that in common. Um, but this is called How the Light Gets In, and this came out last year. She's an author who pretty much brings out a book a year all set in um, Quebec. And, uh, well, in, in a little town in Quebec called Three Pines, I believe, and the same detective inspector, all of that. But the thing that I wanted to say about Louise Penning, which I think is, is different from a lot of mystery writers, is that she gets better, I think. I think her, her, her last two books, this one, How the Light Gets In, and then her 2014 book, are really quite, I, I think she's sort of, you know, hit her stride, and and I find that a lot with a lot of mystery writers, the more they write, you know, it seems like they're just phoning it in. Yeah, that's um, interesting that she's yeah, that way. Yeah, that at least happens, that's right? how. I, yeah, I, well, I think so. At least that's how I felt. They're, uh, you know, they have the, they have the contract rather than the, than the desire. After right. a while, they just had a job. Um, I noticed that it says in the bottom there of your reader's copy, listen to the audio book preview. Right. I'm not sure if it's still up because this is from last year. Do you do you listen to audiobooks of mysteries? No. I I just am not somebody who um, gets a lot of pleasure from listening. Katie Sewell is shaking her head as well. <laughs> I am because I get a lot of pleasure from listening. Yeah, I was gonna say I was, I was figuring you'd be, That's what we did. you'd be agreeing that, uh, that you like to listen. Yeah. It's a different experience. It is, and I think if you think of it as a different experience, I mean, when you're reading a book, then it's just you and the author. It's like mano a mano. You're, you're you know, you're you're creating the book along with the author. When you're listening to a book, then a third person enters the room with you, and that third person is the reader. And if you like the reader, then that's great. But that's going to change your whole interaction with the book. Yeah, it takes us back to that conversation we had with Robert Horton last week about books and movies right. and who who uh, creates the images in right. your head yep. from a book. Yes. I mean, I remember one of my favorite mysteries for years and years and years was In the Woods by Tana French, just a terrific mystery. And I thought, well, it's about time to reread it. And I thought, well, I won't, I'll, I'll listen to it because I walk a lot and I can listen to it on my walks. And I started li listening to it. And it, it just felt, I just, it felt so overwritten and overwrought. And I, and I just had to stop listening and I haven't reread it. I'm afraid to because opinion of how well written it was and how good it was will be changed. Have you ever read Ian Cares? Mm. I have tried and tried and tried to read Ian Pears. I don't want to interject too much. But he's great. I love him. Have what you read him? Yeah, I'm reading him now. What, so what are you reading? Stone's Fall. Stone's Fall. Which I think is uh, 2009, so it's a later one. Mm -hmm. How, what... what uh, Keeps you from. I, I, you know, so much it's all is personal. So yeah, so much is mood, it, and 
the times I picked them up, I wasn't in the mood for for that. Although it has everything, he's British, right? Mm-hmm. Or Scottish? Yeah, Scottish, and it has everything that I would. No, normally. he's British. I better get that right. Yeah. Coventry, yeah. United Kingdom. Oh, okay. No right. problems. Right. <laughs> yeah, Coventry. That has its own history. Well, why is she? Uh, what has she got in there that's keeping you attracted? Is is it Inspector Gamache at all, or is it her writing? Um, or her storytelling. You often talk about, well, it's sometimes character-driven, right, plot-driven. Right, right. Um, well, I think mysteries in general are plot-driven. Um, so you're reading to find out who done it, and you know that it's going to be solved at the end. Um, I, I, you know, Steve, for some reason, what I've been drawn to recently, um, for, for quite a while, it seems, are just thrillers and mysteries. I just haven't... I mean, there have been a few other... Um, Literary, quote, literary novels, unquote, um, in between, or biographies, or whatever. But I just want story. I just don't want to be so engaged that it takes over. Well, the reason I ask is because you mentioned sometimes after a while you get length, lengthy um, series of mystery books, and the characters become more important than the plot. Right. And sometimes the characters' lives are contrived. Because I, I'm sure they're, they're saying, well, I'm on my ninth book. I better, better yeah. do something, some, something else. Well, here's what Louise Penny did that was smart. Penny. Uh, Louise Penny. She, the author of this series, the inspect, Chief Inspector Gamache novels, what she did was um, all, of the, all, of the, all of the crimes in the early books take place in this very small village with a very limited number of people and even more limited number of people that you get to know. But in in the, in the most recent one, for 2014, she's moved it out of that village. Um, yeah, and, they've and had enough crime. she's had to, I mean, it's just not believable. <laughs> These people are messed up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, how many times can you, I mean, can you justifiably have a crime in this little tiny town? I mean, it's 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 the cozy mysteries. Yeah, yeah. There's some TV show. Large. There's some BBC. BBC Midsummer's. Yeah, Midsummer Murders. Midsummer Murders. Right. Yeah, and those. That's a terrible place. People are getting murdered left and right. There. Right, but but that's, I, I've just started watching those on Acorn TV. Your favorite. Your favorite. <laughs> my, my favorite. My favorite uh, network. But um, the Midsummer Murders. I mean, there's like 27. They're in their like 27th year or something of doing them. But Midsummer Murders is set in a series of small British towns that are all kind of connected. It's like a big county. It's right? like a big county. Yeah. That's what I assumed. Yes. All right, Louise Penny. So if, if you've been mostly drawn to thrillers and mysteries, what's. Uh, I know. What's, oh, I guess Ian McEwan's book might fit into that. Kind of? Nah, the Children I don't Act. I think so. The Children Act um, is. I, I would say. My, I, am, I would not call myself an Ian McEwan fanatic. I mean, I've enjoyed some of his books a lot, and I haven't enjoyed some of his books a lot. And certainly his early, early books were, were a little too violent for me. You know, all that very well-written violence is very hard to take. But, but, um, but he did write a terrific book called Black, a terrific novel called Black Dogs. Um, which is yeah, up. you talked about that yeah. last time. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
Okay, well, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful novel, and I wish more people would read it. But the Children Acted is is his brand new book, came, just came out last month, and it's um, the story of a judge, a, a woman judge, who has to make a difficult decision about whether to let a young man, um, a Jehovah's Witness. Um, refuse to uh, follow through with the treatment that's necessary to save his life. His parents and the and he, and he's almost 18, so he's almost of age, but his parents and he both all refuse. They don't want that treatment, and she has to decide whether, whether for his sake to live, she should overrule the parents' religious beliefs. So so you sort of think you know how this is going to end, and then, um, but but because it's Ian McCune, he's such a good writer, there's a twist. Yeah, it's quite wonderful. He can be dark, though. Oh, you know, the early books. Oh, my gosh. The Cement Garden, I believe, was one of his early books. Oh, I he's just, Scottish. I just have... Right? He's Scottish. I don't think he's Irish. He's Scottish. Yeah, could be. He has that sort of bleak, dark, northern sensibility to him. But then Sweet Tooth was very funny. His, his book the, uh, from um, a year ago was quite funny. Really? Uh-huh. What a funny book? Uh-huh. Huh. Atonement was not. Funny, sort of wry, maybe. Maybe not ha-ha-ha. Yeah. Atonement was not. So when you finish an Ian McEwan book, what are you attracted to? Like, what's the next, who's the next author that sort of... Well, now I'm kind of looking. I'm, I'm trying to find something. What's the vacation? That's a. Oh, that's a. That's not a dark and bleak book, is it? Um, it looks cheery on the, on it, the cover. It does there. look cheery, but I think that that's the. Um, that's the script. That's the. Um, uh, that's the effect that the characters in this book, who are all on holiday together, uh, want to experience. They want it to be cheery. You know, this is a holiday. Um, it's a it's a family with um, a, a couple of friends, longtime friends, are all vacationing together. In did I say Italy? It's uh, on Mallorca. Or is that how you pronounce it? Okay. And so, I and I really after this wanted to go there, but this is just you know she's the Emma Straub. The author is a young writer. Um, you know, very up and coming, very highly regarded writer. And um, I, I quite enjoyed. I quite enjoyed. I see that Maria Semple blurbed it. Yes. So that's what made me think of that, yeah, that and, and the color is right. going to be. Oh, it's going to be right. funny. It's going to be. It's about forgiveness and and, and connection and choosing your life and long time relationships and new relationships and I think Katie Sewell would like this. Are you so handing it over? I'm handing I'll it take over. It. Thank All you right. very much. And, okay. then, um, uh, and then you said this is the book for uh, if, you're, if you're having a, if you need to give a, bit, a book to somebody for a holiday yes. present. Yes, and the Chris Hatfield. So this is the Roosevelt's An Intimate History. This is the book that goes along with the Ken Burns uh, it, uh, TV series. And it's just, um, 
uh, just a wonderful, wonderful, you know, the size of it implies that it's a coffee table book and doesn't have a lot of, of, of depth or content. Um, but that's that one would be mistaken would be to wrong. think that you would be wrong. Right. What, right. Uh, what did you learn from this book about, about Eleanor? Because you've read other books about Eleanor. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's not that I learned stuff, except I, I think it's more that it reinforced my feelings about all three of them. You know, I've just always been a fan of books about Teddy Roosevelt because he was such an interesting man. And Eleanor Roosevelt was so complex, as was Franklin. And um, I, I do tend to read biographies of all of them. Roosevelt, more than the recent biography I read of him, Roosevelt came across in the, sh in the show as uh, um, remarkably shallow. In, in the in the early parts of his life, Teddy Roosevelt. No, oh, oh no, Franklin. Franklin. I mean, more shallow than I had expected. I know he was a serious guy, and he got more serious as time went on. But well, he seemed more interested in his his career than his than what he believed in. Well, I, I mean, I, I think he was a mama's boy. You know, when he went to to um, to school to college, his mother moved there to the same place Yikes. to be with him. Um, and, and I think that he was, he was raised in a milieu that didn't take social issues seriously. So I think he, he was somebody who really grew up and, and sort of saw what his role in the world was. Yeah, but he was affected by being a Roosevelt. He looked up to Teddy because Teddy was this guy in heaven. Right, right. Having a, a role in the world, and he realized he wanted to be part of that. Yes. I, I, I guess what I learned was that Eleanor was a serious person from the get-go. Oh, had to yeah. contend with had to contend with people who shunted her to one side, but she right. wouldn't accept it. Right. Ever. Yeah, Eleanor is kind of a tragic heroine. Uh, I think I've always felt that. And I, I, there's a wonderful biography of Eleanor Roosevelt that I, I, I hope people will read. Um, it's, it's two volumes by Blanche W. Cook, and I believe it's just called Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, but it's just... Um, just the first volume. The second volume I didn't think was quite as good, but the first volume about her childhood and her... Um, sort of maturing into the woman that she became is just wonderful and wonderfully written. Did you have you read Eleanor's books? No, I haven't. Have, and, and you also you said there was an early biography of Teddy. Oh uh, yeah, by the, Teddy is a young man. Yes, there's a fabulous biography of Teddy Roosevelt called. A Mornings on Horseback by David McCullough. And, and David McCullough is one of our leading historians. And this is one of his earlier books. And it's Teddy Roosevelt's life up to the time when he ran for governor. So it includes the death of his first wife. Um, and and a, a lot of the... A lot of the... Um, a lot of the... the Events that really turned him into the person he was. You know, um, I picked up some of Teddy's writings. I haven't read them all the way through. He's an interesting writer, though. He's a florid writer of the early 1900s. Yeah, right. But uh, it's pretty interesting but, his work. But you, much yeah, but you would like that. That's your kind of, I mean, because it's outdoors. Yeah, it's outdoors. I was reading the one from Africa, one of the ones he wrote. Uh -huh. 
years later when he was in Africa. I can't remember what it was called, but he's on safari. But yeah, he's just, uh, he is, he made himself to be somebody larger than life, and he succeeded. I, I guess I was also struck by, it. I haven't read the book, but I saw the series, how important uh, Teddy's father was to his life, how, how that was the man who sort of set the tone for the family. And, and that whole, if you come to a barrier, you know, you can't, you can't go around it, you can't, you know, you have to just go through it just conquer and I think that's how, how Roosevelt faced the world. Now I haven't seen the series yet. I'm I'm kinda waiting. I'm gonna binge watch. Binge watch it, it's tough. It's long. Yeah, I know. Well, it's a lot of binge watch. It's a hard, need to break it up. It's hard to sit hard for me to sit that long, so just because I get restless. Yeah and you're not reading. And I'm not reading. Right. Uh, all right. The, the top book on your on your stack was was a book that the author gave you. Lish, Lish McBride came in with that book, and what, she's here right what's, now. What's that book, Lish? What'd you write? What's a book? It's um, so it's a young adult fantasy. Um, something that I think I do different right now is I write humor based kind of action things. So there's a lot of I think angst and darkness and why, which I'm a fan of, but I do think. It is a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel. I think teenagers are already, for the most part, having a rough time. So I tend to focus on humor. But it's a about a girl that can start fires with her mind and is forced to become an assassin for a mob-style family. So the premise doesn't sound very funny, um, but it, does it is. Sound very funny. It doesn't. It really. But I think, um, in the sense that, it makes sense that it is because people often use humor as a coping mechanism. So the worse your situation is. At least in my family, the funnier we get. Like if, if someone's in the hospital, we're hilarious. Like it just ramps up depending on how terrible things are. That's your third book for Henry Holt. Is it your third yeah, book? Yeah, it's my third book. What uh, What started you writing books? Uh, you know, I I always wrote them. It was one of those things where I think it became sort of a a sanity issue. I get really grouchy if I don't write and become sort of a nasty person, and so. Um, I'd be doing it anyway. So, so hence the fire starting and the necromancing. Yeah. You get it's, it all out through the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, the nice thing is, I, growing up around here, it is a very literary area. And like, I was able to go to a writing program this local. I went to Seattle University and got my bachelor's. And then I do have a master's in fiction that I got from the University of New Orleans. I got there right in time for Katrina. Wow. So that was... Not the best timing. It was a wonderful program, and I learned a lot. Who were your your teachers there? Um, So one of them was Joseph Boyden. He just had a book come out Uh there, Renda. Yes. Um, No humor in that. No, he's a very funny man, but his books are just sadness. And his wife too is a Amanda Amanda. Boyden. Right. And I love them both, but they both know that I won't. I won't read much of the. I'll read a little bit of their novels to get an idea of what it's about, but I can't read the whole things. It just depresses me yeah so um they were they were the uh, two uh, big writers that i had at the i was going to say although amanda boyden's book about a previous hurricane not katrina yeah. i can't remember babylon the name rolling of babylon rolling yeah. is just a wonderful novel and not quite as dark yeah. as she, as her husband's book they're they're funny so they often would teach together and it's very good cop bad cop he's i mean joseph's canadian and so there's kind of that very Canadian. They will be really nice about things. Well, you know, you should work on this. And Amanda is ruthless. She will just come in and eviscerate you. That being said, you learn the most from it. Because um, she was actually my thesis advisor and introduced me to my agent. But she would come in and look at you and go, why are you doing this? This thing that you're doing is terrible. And I want you to just quit. And there, there'd be no polite maneuvering. Wow. But, well, well, give me an example of 
ripping it up? I mean, does she have specifics? Usually, yeah. So um, with my first book, Hold Me Closer, Necromancer, was actually I was writing it in school, and I brought it in. And Amanda is not a huge fan of genre fiction. Like, she's very into literary. And so I brought this in, and she goes, like, why are you doing this? Why would you waste your time and your talent on this? Like, why would you come to a program like this if you weren't going to write that? And then she went through, it was like, your characters are reading very shallow, you're having issues here. And like, then you stuck it out. I was just well, going to ask. I actually, that. I work you... really well with that because, like, in my mind, if you can't argue for it, oh, you so shouldn't you, be writing. You responded. Yes, absolutely. What was your she response? Was... She said your I said, characters are um, shallow. What did you say? Well, they were. It was definitely like a work in progress. First drafts, there's a lot wrong with them. And so I said, you know, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, and I hear all the comments. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to come back. I'm going to rewrite, keeping everything in mind. And if you still don't like it, well, then I'll just keep doing this until we get you on board. Um, because, yeah, she just wasn't, in, in her mind, if it's not literary, it, it does mean that maybe the characters aren't, are, are more flat and the plot isn't as exciting and everything. So do you, ex- do you have an example of how you brought that character more depth? Um, well, I went back and the opening, it was, it was very... You didn't really get much of what's going on with my main character was named Sam, and there you didn't really get what's going on in his life. It was very much just kind of a, um, I don't know, the opening just was really slow, which especially for a young adult isn't good. And you didn't get much of what was going on. And so I had to go back and kind of focus more on him than the plot necessarily. Did you? Whereas, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, go ahead. Did you cry? No. I mean, no. I don't think I could. I mean, that kind of criticism, has, I think, would she has just... made people cry. It's no, I, I actually I work really well with Amanda because if she says something nice, you really earned it. Mm-hmm. And if and if um, I think she just doesn't like to waste time. She's being efficient. And if I couldn't argue for what I wanted, and if I couldn't work really hard to get it better and get her on board, because once I had her, she was the biggest supporter I could have. Like I said, she introduced me to my agent. Um, she handed the book off to Sherman Alexie, which is how I got the blurb on the cover of "Hold Me Close to a Necromancer." And everything, which opened a lot of doors for people that would generally ignore young adults and everything. And so, like I said, I, I got. Blur. Um, it was. This is either. You didn't have a tattooed on your. No, <laughs> I thought about it. It's either a funny book or a scary book, but either way, it's a good book or something like that. It's probably on the back of that. They got a lot of mileage out of it. But that's interesting. Uh, it's interesting that she uh, that yeah. you ex- you liked that. I guess that fits with what it's, you're writing. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's... You have to be um, thick skin to be a writer, I guess. You do, and it does prepare you for the world, because that's the thing about writing books versus a lot of other jobs, is people will come up and tell you exactly how they feel about it. Uh, <laughs> and they don't think they're being rude. It's very much like, hey, like if, say if you're a baker, and you make this bread, and someone's not going to come in in the morning and go, you know what, if I was going to make this bread, I would use a different kind of flour, I would do a different sort of grinding technique, and maybe I'd put this in there, and I'd use this temperature. So your bread was okay. Like, it wasn't the best bread. I think I could do better, but I'd like some more tomorrow. Can you make that happen? And that's how people approach books. They well, could just not yeah. eat your bread. They could, and that's, that option is always open. And it's, I've had people come up and go, you know, I read your books. The first one was good. The second one, eh, I didn't like it as much. You know, I just didn't think it was that good. So are you writing another one? <laughs> well, it, it's probably going to be more of eh for you. If you didn't like the second one, like, it's not... That's the direction I'm going. If you didn't, if you didn't go with it, then I, I don't know what to tell you. But I have in, no problem. Doing how that. influenced were you as a as a young reader, uh, your teen years, by Stephen King, who also has a fire starter? 
You know, I read a lot of... I read really early. I started reading when I was three. And I read my first Stephen King book when I was seven, which is probably not a good time to start reading Stephen King. Do you think it shaped your view of the world? Was it Carrie? No, I read uh, Dragon's Eyes first. I was a big fantasy reader, and so that made sense for me. And honestly, I never read Firestarter. But um, I was a huge Stephen King fan. Like Stephen King, Clive Barker... Uh, anything really creepy and scary until I read The Stand where I realized that Stephen King actually kills characters off in the order of how much I like them. And I just... He, he I kills just them off in the order of how much you like them? Yeah, in The Stand. It's like the people I like the best die first and then it just keeps going like that. And then I just... I couldn't do it anymore. And so I took a... I took a break. I haven't read much Stephen King since. Like He's still, I think, a, a good writer. I've read some of his son's work. Um... Oh, was it Joe Hill? Joe his, Hill. His comic book, Lock and Key, is pretty fantastic. But I haven't read Stephen King in a while. Right, Liz, you said that you've been writing all your whole life. Yeah. Three, four? I mean, you seriously, you, you were writing stories when you were a little kid? So, um, yeah, they have, like, what's that program they have in school? The Young Writers. They would do, like, a Young Writers Conference. And I think I, I won that in, like, kindergarten or first grade. And I was actually very upset because when I read the book after they put it together... I got the ending wrong, so it didn't make any sense. So I didn't understand why I won if the book was that terrible. But, yeah, it's been... I've been telling stories, I think, forever. All right, Liz McBride's new book is Firebug. If you read it and you come up to her and you say, eh, she doesn't, you know, she's fine with that, but, you know, <laughs> just write your own. <laughs> you have to be tough in return. Who else is at the table? Who else? We have people at our table. Oh, now you have to wait. So Katie went over there. Sorry. Sorry. Hi, I'm Jenny Capella. Jenny, you you came with a list, huh? I did. I found out that she was coming, and I was so excited. Uh, Do you want me to just start? I want to know why you wrote a list of the books you're reading, or did you write a list of the books you want to be reading? Actually, this is more of a weave weave of questions about books and kind of topics. Um, For example, um, have you, did you see um, the show on stars, the Outlander series by Diana Gabaldon? I did not. Okay. I I don't, we don't get, is stars one of the premium? Okay, we don't get it. Got it. She's too busy for for premium. But I have to say, (laughs) to say that my daughter, my older daughter just has read, she's on book seven now of Outlander. Mm -hmm. Do you love those? I love them. They're a deep, rich mix of history and, and you know, true understanding of um, in-depth relationships. I love them. Yeah. And which, and I know there's a that the heroine is torn between Jamie as the Scottish man and and her husband in the present. Right, it's time travel. So yeah. which which guy do you prefer? Jamie, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> Next. No. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Yeah, I want to see if you've got one there that she's read. So what, what else is there? Well, um, it's more actually of a question regarding your, and maybe this isn't appropriate for the, t- uh, the topics of the table, but it's more like over the years, have you noticed any shifting in business books and leadership books in terms of what's, what's popular um, maybe in one era versus another era? Is, do you read business books or leadership I, books? Very occasionally. Oh, okay. So not very much, okay. but I mean, like one of the, business books that I just loved, and maybe you wouldn't consider this a business book, or that I thought was wonderful, is like Make It Stick mm. by Chip Heath and his brother. Have you read I've that? I've heard it. I haven't read it, but I've heard I, I of thought, it. And that was about coming up with ideas that that stick. Uh, so, but 
I'm, I'm sure there are different books. I, that would be an interesting question to go back and look at decades because there was all of those, um, uh, you, you know, how to be a powerful leader. And now, I mean, the, our ideas about leadership and business have in many ways changed, mm-hmm. I think. But I'm not the right, I, I don't, I'm not a big reader in that area. I wish I were. I imagine all the recent business books have all the metaphors are about the internet and technology and and computers as the way they frame their There is a lot about that. And what I've noticed is that a lot of people have their way and approach um, in books to leadership, and it makes sense. And something that I hope people remember is that when you're reading something like that, it's really right on for a certain number of people, and there may be other approaches that are right for other people. So to look at a book as the way is probably you know, not the best well, So have you solution. just read one, or do you have one, in, have you been reading some business books that you liked? Um, you know, I actually wrote one recently. It's a Kindle book, and it's called Your Dream Team. Um, I didn't come here to plug that, but here we are talking about it. Um, and it's just it's something that I like to read in other business books is the people element, not just talking about the aspects of the financials and grow your business this way, and the, but that whole aspect of weaving in the most important things about engaging people and, you know, whatever the book is. What, brought, what, what prompted you to write a business book? I couldn't not write it, and that's the short answer. Uh, I started it about 12 years ago, and it just kept eating at me, and then I let it go because I wasn't finishing it, and I was mad at myself. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm over it. But then I created a workbook for it a few years ago. And then about several months ago, somebody introduced me to a Kindle book consultant. And she helps people um, become bestsellers on Kindle. And so I thought, okay, I'll pick this up one more time. She goes, oh, my gosh, you have some great content here. I'm like, oh, God, not again. Don't make me go through this again. Because it was like a birth, truly. I mean, that sounds very cliche, but it truly was. And, um, but it was very profound, and I finally finished it. And now it's out there. What's your business? I'm a business advisor. I work with nonprofits and profit businesses. I see. So hence, yeah. hence why you were drawn, driven to write a book about business. Yes, business book. exactly. And the heart and soul of business, which is people. Right. Is that not come across in a lot of uh, business interactions? Correct. In my perspective, in my perception. Hey, that's fine. Yeah. That's your perspective. Really? That's right. Yeah. I mean, isn't, what, isn't that what, what business is? And that's what we're interested in. So. Yeah. Well, your good. perception. Isn't that what business is, though? All about people? Well, who's forgetting? It's People are just looking at us widgets, huh? Well, you know, I have a phrase that I invented called business unusual, and that that's what I really am all about because business as usual is all about we think that we have all this new technology and these new techniques for creating a better business, and what I find is that it's just business as usual because there's still all these statistics of, you know, 95% of businesses fail in the first five years. I mean, the SBA keeps producing that statistic, and it's like, well, when are we going to have it be different, you know, and um, that's one of the things that when you look at people and you really help understand in depth where they're coming from and match them with what positions are right for them, it can really make an impact. I know that sounds very simple, but it's it's in my experience very true. I just read Nick Carr's book. Nick Carr's a technology critic. I just read The Glass Cage, mm. which is in a nutshell his concern that as we automate more and more of our functions, humans become less important in life. So not just in business, but in life. And we lose our ability to uh, do. And we forget that what we do is the best of our lives, not what we accomplish or finish, but what we, in the doing. And he kept quoting Robert Frost, 
the mower. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the process of mowing, not right. the stack of hay that's, uh, that's right. there. And his whole concern is wow. that businesses keep writing people out of the equation to such an extent that we will end up, I don't know, watching lots of Acorn TV and, and <laughs> eating Cheetos and living on welfare and have nothing more to offer the world. That sounds like that would be a book that you would want to read, that Nicholas Carr book. It does, very much so. Thank you. I hadn't even heard of that. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting. Just yep. out. Just out. Yeah, Just out. brand new. All right, that was good. Okay, what, we have one last person at the table. You're sitting here. You, you don't have to speak. That's okay. You, what were you writing down? All right. And you well, should say I, your name I came, my name is Judy, and I came because I'll follow Nancy anywhere. She's my heroine. <laughs> That's so nice. So I did hear that she was uh, going to be here. I guess I do have a question. I belong to a book club, like half, at least three-quarters of the people in Seattle. Um, choosing a book that is not only a good read but good for discussion is a challenge. And I would appreciate a couple of titles. Ms. ready. Okay. Um, so it, it, let me just back up and say, in my and maybe we should do a whole a whole podcast on book clubs. That would be really interesting. So I think book clubs spend entirely too much time choosing books on the basis of or thinking about whether people will like the book or not in the book club, and that that's the least important thing, that the most important thing about a book club is that you get good discussions from it, and whether people liked it or not is secondary, I, I, I think. So um, one of the books that, that, uh, that I just went to a book club meeting and we had a wonderful, wonderful discussion on Jonathan Safran Foer's Extremely Loud, Terribly Loud and Extremely... Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close? Yeah, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Uh, and and it, it was surprising to me how good that discussion was and how much there was to talk about in that book. Both the um, the way the book was was written as well as the characters in it. So I always like to talk about the author's intent and how well that succeeded. So that's a really good a really good book for discussion. Another kind of no-fail book for really good discussion is, and I'm sure your group has read this, The Sparrow. Well, probably not for a very long time. Okay, so, so uh, The right. Sparrow by Mary Doria yeah. Russell mm-hmm. is a terrific book discussion book oh, because it's just going to lot of heated discussion. Um, going back further, Wallace Stegner's Angle of Repose. Yeah, I'm sure we've read that. We've yes, all read that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, to read it again um, mm-hmm. and, and, and think about when it was, the issues that he raises, mm-hmm. and just the success of that book as a book, because, I mean, you could spend an hour talking about, <laughs> you know, what the last chapter means, or... I mean, the question that I would start with if I were going to discuss Angle of Repose is who the main character really loves. And I can't remember her name at this moment. Um, But who she really loves. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a a question, I think, that leads to lots of good discussion. Mm -hmm. Another great one is Ernest Gaines' A Lesson Before Dying. Pulling out the classics. I am. Yeah, I was going to say, you're reading the, 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 the old century. goodies. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I think I'm, I'm just really... I, no, I was serious about the 17th and 16th no, century. I don't think so. One of the best discussions we had uh, was on the, um, uh, the End of Your Life book club. Not only it, it 
was a wonderful chance just to revive and comment on books that we'd all read, and then it segued into books we'd read and were influential as, as children. And right. that was one of the liveliest discussions we've had. Yes, mm -hmm. and that's a that the end of your life book club, mm -hmm. Will Schwab's book. I mean, he's just it's it's a wonderful book. I, I mean, I remember when I read it, I just either wanted his mother to be my mother, or I wanted to have been a mother like his mother. Yeah, she was an was. amazing. She woman. was an amazing. In person. fact, I advise every. Everybody read the last chapter when you're by yourself because you are going to cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, before we started uh, the podcast, we, you were saying that you were in England this summer as I was and yeah. World War I books were everywhere and you wanted um, a recommendation for a novel yeah. Yeah. in yeah. World War I. And so here's one that will also be a great book club book, yes. Regeneration oh, by I, Pat Barker. Well, you, have I, you read I know, that I know one? We've all we've read her, her trilogy, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's that's a really mm -hmm. um, just a terrific one. Mm -hmm. And I will... and. What what about, um, they're not novels, but what about Vera Britton's yeah. books? I, it's, right, it's probably been a long time, but it's time to revive those. Yeah, That's right. Yes. Uh, Testament, and I, of Youth. Testament of Youth yeah. is so wonderful, yeah, and yeah. I'll think of more, Judy. Okay, that would be very helpful. Last night we, we uh, talked about um, Yumpel Lahiri, Lahiri's um, Homeland, unaccust oh. Unaccustomed Earth. Uh, uh -huh. I thoroughly enjoyed it because uh -huh. I know Cambridge and Boston, and uh -huh. uh, I, I liked your characters. The one complaint we had was it was not a novel. You get very invested in the characters, and then the story's over. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I thank you for this list. Yes, we'll, uh, uh, we'll, so, we'll we'll do a whole thing on book clubs, and maybe people will you know join book clubs us. Will come. But, yeah. We'll if need, if we do it, they will come. Yeah. We'll need it even more. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> Which one? Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Who is that? Jacqueline, Jacqueline Winspear. She's, um, yeah. yeah, she's traditionally known for that, but her new one is not a mystery novel, and it's based around, um, around like, World War One, World War Two, because she had a lot of family that went through it. Um, she's, she's British. And she's basing it sort of on this book that she found when she used to live over in England. Um, it was, like, one of those women's housekeeping books like the 40s and it was given to someone it's inscribed to a woman you know, on her wedding day and it was right before oh, the right. war broke out mm -hmm. and so she was kind of wondering well, what happened in this marriage because he most likely was shipped off and all these things and um, yeah, it's, it, it might be interesting I think for your book club because it does look at you know how, what does it do to marriages what does it do to family you know, how does it uh, how did war affect genders? And then women got to go out and do all these things and then had to go back into the home. And is it a Maisie Dobbs book or is it different? Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it, isn't, it has uh, nothing to do with Maisie Dobbs. Okay. Um, well, it will probably be kept with those books in the bookstore because they tend to keep the author stuff together. But yeah, it's just a, um, it's not a mystery novel at all. Yeah. What, Judy, do you remember when I, when we, I interviewed yeah, I her? That was She yeah, was yeah. very interesting. Just yeah. had so many stories about her own family mm -hmm. and all yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Steve. Uh, I, uh, I interrupted you. You can follow Nancy's suggestions at her Twitter feed, at Nancy Pearl, also at nancypearl.com. And uh, That Stack of Books, Facebook, at That Stack Twitter. This podcast uh, is available on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you guys for sitting down at this table with us. Thanks to the uh, Bryant Corner Cafe and Bakery for hosting us. We'll do it again. Good to talk to you. Next next Tuesday, same time, same place. More people should come and, and try to hear Tuesday? us. Oh. And Katie will, Katie will be here to handle, handle the mics That's... and read some books. Yeah, oh, yeah.
bit. I'll be here. So come back and join us because we didn't get to your whole list. All right. And, and I want to do a podcast on, on like, authors. This is something that Lish said about genre authors who are um, seen as somehow second-class citizens to, to, yeah, to, to many readers. So I'd like to do something about that in book clubs and also um, authors who don't get the respect that they deserve, which fits into the <laughs> genre question. All right, lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. Good to see you, Nancy. Good to see you, Steve. Privilege, and I just didn't even know this existed, but uh, we, we just began. I come and bring my friends because oh, I have reading friends, as you well know.